I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. The phrase doom loop has become popular in the last year as experts and researchers have begun exploring the impact of persistent remote work on major downtowns in America. It goes something like this. Workers who went remote during the pandemic don't return to their desks, office buildings stay empty, and surrounding businesses like restaurants suffer. Consequently, tax revenue for City Hall tanks, and then public services thin out. It's a scenario The Chronicle has explored extensively. In fact, some readers have complained about the coverage, saying the newsroom has hyper-focused on a doom scenario. But it's a real consideration. Compared to other American cities, San Francisco has had the worst downtown office recovery. There's been an exodus of tech companies, the shuttering of major retailers like Nordstrom, and high-profile cases of crime that have some people thinking of the city's downtown as an apocalyptic scene. Not everyone is panicking, though. Some people are thinking the doom loop will finally make San Francisco affordable for them to live in. Could the doom loop mean lower rents for people who have been wanting to stay or return to San Francisco? Today on Fifth Emission, the Chronicle's unofficial doom loop beat reporter Noah Arroyo joins me to weigh in on that discussion. Noah, thanks for being here. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Noah, you've been covering San Francisco's potential doom loop for a little while now, and there's been plenty of speculation about it. And San Francisco Mayor Lennon Breed's office has insisted that we're not in one. I want to start a conversation by asking you, how can we tell if we're in one or not? What actually defines a doom loop? Well, it's arguable. There isn't a specific threshold that we cross where we're suddenly in a doom loop. And, you know, before we weren't and now we definitely are. I've asked this question as well. It's it's fuzzy. And it's more like there's a dynamic that characterizes a doom loop. That dynamic would be something like we are watching our commercial real estate devalue. And it's happening very slowly and incrementally as properties are reassessed. It will happen more over the coming years, and especially if nothing changes, you know, with the city's economy and with the health of various industries, especially tech. The idea is that as those properties drop in value, you'll have less tax revenue going into city coffers and into city hall. With less tax revenue, budgets for departments will have to cut. As those budgets shrink, they'll be able to provide fewer services than they could in previous years, and that will then cause a reduction in the quality of life for the people who live here. And if people don't want to live here as much, they're going to move someplace else. Businesses would then follow by shuttering because they wouldn't have the foot traffic and clientele. And we've seen this in some parts of the city. And all of this creates a sort of self-perpetuating cycle, gets worse and worse. That's the dynamic of the doom loop. So arguably, we are maybe entering one, but it's not like we'll cross a line and we're suddenly in it. I think what we're more worried about at the Chronicle and I think what city officials are worried about is that in San Francisco, things could become bad enough that it's very difficult to disable that doom loop dynamic. You know, how do you get a totally empty downtown filled back up again? Because part of what drew companies there was that there were a bunch of really cool, interesting companies there that were already doing business. And so you lose that gravitational pull. It's like, how do you get it back? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what people are concerned about. Mm-hmm. And the Chronicle has faced some pushback on really harping on this doom loop over and over again. But as you mentioned, there would be some pretty dire consequences of a doom loop. What are they? Look, whenever we have conversations about the doom loop, either in the office or or with sources, it's really hard for Detroit 
not to come up. People worry that you know this will be a failed city at some point. I'm not sure how realistic that is. I do think that those are the sorts of stakes that live in our minds when we talk about this. And it's it's hard not to think that if you're like me and you've lived here for many years, I, I've lived here for almost 20 years, you think about how the city was. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not like that anymore. Many of the neighborhoods, especially the Mission District, they're happening, they're alive. There's been a lot of outdoor dining that's breathed life into those parts of the city. But just walk around downtown, you feel like you're in a post-apocalyptic zombie movie. Mm-hmm. That's very different. And so it's hard not to think, well, what if this continues another five years or so? And then maybe San Francisco isn't a place that people want to come and live in. A lot of things have changed the stakes for this city, especially compared to the identity that it used to have as a, as a tech hub. Without people having to work where they live, they can work for a job that's based in San Francisco but live someplace else, which means that they don't have to contend with the high cost of living here if they don't have to. And that is what's driving, I think, a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking about the city's previous identities, many people remember San Francisco before it became this tech hub. And now there are some people who are looking at a potential doom loop as a way to make the city's housing more affordable. Tell me about what's being said there and who's saying that. I think a lot of people are saying it. I know that that my own conversations, so hanging out with friends, talking with family sometimes, it's it's really hard not to have a conversation that doesn't go in that direction. What if the rent prices keep falling? What comes with that that's good, such as a more diverse cultural scene in San Francisco, more musicians, more artists able to come back. That hope is definitely there. I've encountered it uh, in countless conversations. And then what we were able to pull for this story was that sentiment where it was showing up in social media. And you'll see it in Twitter, you'll see it in Facebook, but I was finding Reddit posts uh, and long conversations where people who say that they live in San Francisco were talking about this and saying, well, I can't wait for this to happen. Now, that was not the overriding sentiment. Mm -hmm. There was no overriding sentiment. There's a lot of mixed feelings about this, but it was very prominent. I hear about it often. And I want to be clear, if I can, we've written about this. I've written about this a lot of times now. Um, We did a big piece on doom loops recently before this one. And None of that is championing for for a doom loop mm-hmm. because a lot of bad things would come with this too. You know, people are, are interested in housing prices dropping, but that only happens if San Francisco becomes much less desirable to live in. And what's going to cause that? There are going to be fewer jobs, fewer companies. Many aspects of our city are going to be in disrepair at that point. Nobody wants to see this happen, including me, including the Chronicle, and including city officials. But it's important for us to write about it and talk about it because it is on everybody's minds and that's the only way that something is going to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what was your reaction to seeing those kinds of comments on social media? I mean, to me, it feels like people have been really desperate to stay in San Francisco and now this potential doom scenario is for those people an opportunity to keep staying in San Francisco. Yeah. And I think that's valid. I think that that is an understandable sentiment on a personal level. Look, there are two layers to this. One is what an individual faces, and the other is what the city faces. And what's bad for the city might be good for the individual, 
for them to be able to come here in the first place, return here if they haven't been here for years, as I was encountering, or if they want to stay here, buy property here. Because, you know, if housing prices drop, then maybe suddenly you can buy a house and that was never in your universe before. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that. I don't know if I'd call it the doom loop, but definitely the injury to the local economy that the pandemic has had, I have been a major beneficiary of that. Mm. I left San Francisco. I was priced out of San Francisco 2015, 2014, and was living in East Bay, living in various parts of Oakland, you know, back and forth a lot of places over the years. It was only during the pandemic in early 2021, it was in March 2021, when I was able to find a studio, 1400 bucks mm. in the Tenderloin. You know, it's not the best part of town. I actually kind of like it, but that wasn't possible before then. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know because I looked. Mm -hmm. So I now get to live where I work. I'm walking distance from my job. I have the dream on a personal level. And I look around and I see how the city is suffering. And that's kind of what it took. So I, I understand if people feel divided about this. I mean, it's also worth noting that San Francisco's high cost of living has thinned out staffing in really critical fields and areas. Tell me about the city departments and the types of jobs that have really demonstrated that. I know you looked at it for your latest report. I didn't look at data for everything, but we do have numbers for some things, and that includes um, city departments. And there are some departments that are, are, are very understaffed. Now, overall, across the entire city, we have about a 12% vacancy rate, and these are full-time employees or the equivalent. But you do have certain departments that stand out and they are higher than that. One of them would be the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. You know, anybody who cares about homelessness issues wants them to staff up as much as they can. They are at about 24% vacancy. We have others, uh, Economic uh, and Workforce Development, that department. They are responsible for working with businesses and helping them to thrive. The Department of Public Works, they have a high level of vacancy. And again, so our streets are dirty. Well, mm -hmm. why is there so much debris? It could be, this could be a contributing factor, although I'm, I'm really just inferring here. So there, there are many departments in the city that are understaffed. We've talked a lot in recent years about police. Mm -hmm. Now, you can have a conversation about how directly the staffing at SFPD corresponds with you know, their arrest rate and their clearance rate. In other words, how fast they solve cases. And there is not a direct relationship. There's a lot of noise in that. So it's not a one-to-one -one relationship. We have more people. We make more arrests and clear more cases. But I think there is at least a widespread feeling in the city that public safety is an issue. And it's hard not to imagine that understaffing at, at SFPD is contributing to that sense. There's also the restaurant industry. The restaurant industry is is really kneecapped and has been throughout the pandemic. Uh, obviously, we shut down businesses that was to save lives. I'm sure that it did. Uh, San Francisco had a pretty low death rate, at least from COVID-19. But the end result of that and a number of other you know macro trends is that restaurants right now are having a lot of trouble finding people to fill these um, waiting and bartending positions, which means that you go to a restaurant, you're waiting longer than you have in the past and maybe than you want to. That's going to hurt your intent to come back to that restaurant later. If that happens a lot, then we're talking about a sort of general injury to 
you know, the hospitality industry to restaurants in San Francisco. And that's a major identifying feature of the city. So again, I think this is what the conversation about, you know, the doom loop and, and all of this taps into is a sort of frustration and anxiety about, well, what if this gets worse? Mm-hmm. You know, where are we left at that point? Mm-hmm. And maybe San Francisco no longer is known as, you know, one of the restaurant capitals of the world. How's the rental market in San Francisco looking at the moment? And who would benefit the most from lowering rents caused by the doom loop? Noah Royal will share after a quick break. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. So for these folks who are hopeful that rent prices may be going down as the downtown economy deteriorates, where exactly are San Francisco rent prices at at the moment? I know that, like you mentioned, you're one of those folks who found good deals during the early pandemic. It's frustrating. There is no authoritative source on what rents are, but we have some pretty good estimates. And one of them just jump on Craigslist and, and you know, you can see what things are going for. That is going to be listing price, not necessarily what things ultimately rent for. For the latter, we have some good data from Apartment List. It's a it's a listing site. We generally rely on it at the Chronicle, and rents at the the average rent citywide for a two bedroom apartment in April was two thousand five hundred fifty four bucks. Hmm. Now that may be lower than. You know, our listeners may expect, again, this is an average across the entire city. This number is going to vary a lot depending on where it is in the city and and rents are going to be much lower along Market Street and in the downtown area because that's where people have disappeared from. Mm-hmm. So there isn't as much demand for those spaces. The flip side of that is those are also the, the younger buildings, which means that they will not be rent controlled generally, will not be rent controlled. So your rent may be good there now, but it, it won't necessarily be next year or whenever the economy picks back up. So rents have dropped compared to pre-pandemic. They are lower but it's not clear looking at the numbers if they're flatlining now or if they're rising a bit. We're about 13% lower than we were just prior to the pandemic still. Mm. So rents are still, I mean, fairly high. I mean, it's not, we couldn't say it's affordable to live here at all. But you mentioned a few different kinds of industries or workers that have been priced out of living here and the impact of that on residents. But if costs decrease, as the downtown economy continues to slide, who would benefit the most from that? I spoke to a housing rights activist, the, the head of the Housing Rights Committee in San Francisco, who said to me that we have seen nonprofit workers and some teachers be able to come back during the pandemic. Hmm. Her sense was that these are more the middle-income earners and less the, the very low-income. To see low-income earners really come back in force, I think you'd have to see rent prices drop quite a bit. My sense from speaking to economists, this is not, uh, I, I wouldn't say a hard fact, but I would say a pretty strong sense from experts is that the types of workers who left during the pandemic were the types of workers you might find at jobs downtown. And so housing prices could drop, but if those jobs don't come back, then the demand for their labor won't come back and and we might not see them come here anyway. So it's, um, it's a layered problem. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not going to completely benefit everyone all at once. Right, right. It would have a 
I guess you could say a rolling benefit. Mm -hmm. One of the things we looked at, figuring out what was sort of a, a reasonable amount to pay for rent now, or an estimated amount to pay based on the metrics that we could find, how much would you need to earn in order to be able to afford that kind of a home? And uh, the number I came up with was a little over 60 bucks an hour. Uh, by comparison, you're making somewhere in the neighborhood of 17, 18 bucks an hour as a server. There's a big gap between what you're earning and, and that kind of a job and what you would need to be financially stable and able to afford that kind of a home. And when we say able to afford comfortably, we're using the feds and their standard, which is that your housing costs would consume no more than 30% of your income. So I really struggle to imagine that rents will ever drop far enough that, that servers are not struggling at least a little bit to make it in the city. But I, I think it's fair to say that they would be struggling so much. That has got to be a factor in, in why they are not trying to live in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So what's your takeaway from this piece? I mean, you know, after seeing these comments online, this optimism around a doom loop, what's your sort of pushback to those folks? I think my takeaway is that individuals are divided internally about what should happen. That probably means that our city is divided about what should happen. And I don't mean city hall. I mean the people who live in this town. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more graffiti than there used to be. My experience with that is that that comes before the artists and those come before the city becomes very interesting and lively. And then after that is when gentrification hits and then the cycle repeats. And that's what I've been hearing about a lot is that that's, that's going to happen again. And I'm divided about how I feel about that mm -hmm. uh, as a, as a long-term resident. So if I put my reporter cap back on for a second, I think city officials really have a tough challenge because they need to account for that in their policymaking. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think the smartest version of that is going to be something like coming up with a fix. And they are talking about some policy fixes. I'm not sure if they're at the scale that we really need for, for our problem. We are the slowest city to recover in the entire country and have been throughout the entire pandemic. It does not look good for us. But let's say they bring some real good solutions to bear. They could be the victims of their own success or the city could be if, you know, we see a gentrification bomb go off again, as it did when we saw big tech come in. And so I hope that this conversation evolves into one of how do we solve things here, but sustainably to make space for the types of people who felt like they were priced out, but also keeps that space for them mm -hmm. instead of just ushering them out the door again, as our economy has repeatedly done. Mm -hmm. Noah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Noah Arroyo is a reporter for the Chronicle's SF Next project, which explores solutions to some of San Francisco's biggest problems. Check out SF Next and Noah's reporting on the Doom Loop at sfchronicle.com slash sfnext. Thank you to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening. Mm -hmm.